We're reminded, Father, that uh, the psalmist said, I love the Lord because he hears my voice and my supplications. Therefore, I shall call upon him as long as I live. We, we are thankful that you are there. We are thankful that uh, our prayers don't bounce off of acoustic ceiling tiles and fall back just on our ears. We are thankful that you are the living God, the living God. Uh, you are our creator. You have always existed. You have always been and you always will be. We have not always existed, but we exist now and we exist by your will. And your eye is on every single one of us and you know everything about us, everything. You know every word we will speak until we take our dying breath. You know the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. You know the fears. You know everything about us. You know where we've been. You know where we're going. You know where we are. And we're grateful that you are not only our creator, but that you are our father. And you are the greatest father there has ever been. You never misunderstand. You never err in your discipline, ever. You never treat us unjustly. Now, human fathers do those things. You don't. And we are thankful beyond words and amazed that you would send your son to rescue us and to die in our place. We will never get over that. How grateful we are that you would send your son who would die in our place. He uh, was buried after he died for our sins and then he was raised and He's at your right hand, and he lives forever to make intercession for us. A lot of times we pray, and we pray with wrong motives. Sometimes we pray for the wrong things. Sometimes we don't even know what we're asking for. We're like little kids in a candy shop. But you know what's best. And as one of the old sages said, God has answered every one of my prayers. He either gave me what I asked for or he gave me what I should have asked for. So thank you for your wisdom. Thank you that as we walk through this life as pilgrims, this is not our home, we're on our way home. This is preparation. Uh, heaven is such a wonderful place that there's really not much we can assimilate. We, we don't have the capacity to take it in. But we have glimpses in your word. And we're grateful that it's not some sitting on a cloud playing a harp thing. You wouldn't do that to us. You're so great and you're so creative. You've got things in mind that are going to blow us away. Forever. But in the interim, we're here. And in the interim, we need wisdom. And in the interim, we need guidance. And in the interim, we're afraid of ourselves because we know our own hearts. And we pray that you'd make us alert. We pray that you'd make us wise and give us discernment and keep driving home to us that apart from you, we can do nothing. We need you. Absolutely, we need you. For every breath, for every decision, we need you. Everybody's facing something in here. But we don't have to fear because you're bigger than whatever we're facing. You're our Father. You're the sovereign God. Encourage us tonight. If hope is gone, put it back in. 
we would ask humbly by the power of your word. We're needy men. We admit it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hebrews 11. And we're, we're coming to the end of this chapter, which is God's Hall of Fame. If you were with us in the fall, you know about this. We, we call it God's Hall of Fame. Uh, it is recording the lives of numerous men and uh, some women in Hebrews chapter 11, folks from the Old Testament, who, as they were journeying through life, were walking by faith. Uh, the name of the game in the Christian life is walking by faith. That's, how you, that's, that's why these folks are in God's Hall of Fame. Uh, all of these people were great sinners. All of them had great shame in their life. They had things that they wish they hadn't have done, but they did do them, just as we all have those things. They had all messed up. They had all screwed up. They had driven themselves off the road into a ditch of their own making. And... They were redeemed and found and saved by the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, their Old Testament, so they had to look ahead to his coming. Uh, here we are today, we look back to his first coming, await his second coming, but what we have in common with them is that they have completed their walk of faith, we're right in the middle of it. Uh, we have pretty much, the, I, I think the issues are not unlike what they had. We have different stuff. We have more stuff. We have more uh, toys. We have more technology. We, we have all kinds of stuff. But the human heart is pretty much the same throughout the generations. Fear is the same in a thousand years B.C. or a thousand years A.D. Uh, it's just the same stuff. So we have a lot in common with these guys. So there are lessons to be learned from these men who were in God's hall of faith, who were mentioned. Uh, and I want to say this again. They're all deeply flawed men. Nobody in here is perfect in, in, in Hebrews chapter 11. We, we've looked at some men who are very famous. Uh, we've looked at, uh, uh, we looked at Cain. We looked at Abraham. We looked at Moses. Uh, Joshua is mentioned, although not by name. He is mentioned... Uh, because of what happened at, uh, at Jericho. And now we're getting into some guys who are a little bit more obscure, but there are lessons to be learned from these men. Uh, who we're going after tonight is Gideon. Gideon is not up there with Abraham, but he's also not obscure like Jephthah, who we're going to get into in a few weeks. Um, Hebrews 11, uh, I want to highlight it. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You can have a conviction about things not seen. Um, you've never seen the wind, have you? No, you never have. You've seen evidences of wind. You've never seen wind because you can't see wind. You can see the evidence. Uh, what does this say? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. You can have a conviction about wind, that it exists. The insurance companies believe in it. FEMA believes in it. Wind exists, although it's not seen. So it's not crazy to have a conviction about something that's not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. If you look at verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. We live in a culture that says he isn't, but everything tells us he is. Everything. His fingerprints are everywhere. You go into space, the Hubble telescope, you go far-reaching galaxies. Let me tell you something, there's a designer or you pull out a microscope and you're looking in the DNA. There is a design to all of that. There is a great architect. There is a great designer. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder 
of those who seek him. This is all about walking by faith. And you can see the different names as you peruse Hebrews chapter 11. You get down to verse 32, and he says, And what more can I say? What more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong. That's a key statement. From weakness were made strong, because here's what God does in every one of these men that are in Hebrews 11. If we have enough biographical information about their lives, you will see that what God does when he brings a man to him is that he takes a strong man and then he will make that strong man weak on purpose. God takes strong men, makes them weak. We don't want to be weak. The last thing we want is weakness. Isn't that right? We hate to get sick. We don't have time to get sick. That's why guys don't go to the doctor. Why would I go to the doctor? I don't want to hear what the guy has to say. I just want to keep living my life. Uh, but sometimes we get sick. Sometimes we get emotionally sick. Guys who have never been depressed in their lives will suddenly have something happen and they'll have great loss in their life and all of a sudden you find yourself struggling with depression. Well, I've never been depressed before. Well, join the club. Here you go, man. That's a club I don't want to be in. Well, guess what? You're in it. See, when you're depressed, you're weak. You don't have your normal attitude about life and you're in, because you've taken some shots. God takes strong men. He makes them weak, and then by his power, he makes them strong again. Paul said, if you read his account in 2 Corinthians 12, he'd been taken up to heaven, saw things which a man is not permitted to speak, in order to keep him from exalting himself. Because if God took you to heaven and showed you around, wouldn't you have a little pride? Because nobody else uh, in your small group had been to heaven. And nobody at your family Christmas had been to heaven, but you'd been there. So you start puffing up with pride like a toad, and uh, that's not going to work. So in order to keep me from exalting myself, Paul said, I was given a thorn in the flesh, and three times I asked the Lord to remove it from me, and he wouldn't do it. And God said, for my power is perfected in weakness. We don't want to be weak. He makes us weak. And Paul said, therefore, I've learned that when I am weak, then I am strong. It's counterintuitive to how we live our lives. It is a spiritual truth that is spiritually understood. Okay. You see it all the way through Scripture, and you see it here. Um, oh, by the way, when I left my sunroof open before the big snow, and... Um, I had six inches of snow on my seats when I came out two days after Christmas. If you missed the, before we, we, if you guys weren't here before we started praying, I told this story. Uh, my other Bible fell apart. So I went out to Dallas Seminary and I bought a new Bible the first week of December. I was just getting it broken in. It was on the front seat. So here's my new Bible, my second new Bible I bought last week at the bookstore. Anyway, so I'm still getting used to this one. Although I really like it. I, I, I got to, it's a different format than the one I've had for 40 years, New American Standard. And, I, and there were two of them side by side. I'd never seen this format, and I'm looking at it, and I kept looking at the other. And this one I'm used to. I know where verses are on what side of the page, and I'm looking at it, and I just really liked it. So I bought it. And I was, it took me a couple of days. Why do I like this so much? And then I was flipping through the front, and I'm reading this, and it says, large print edition. <laughs> that's the truth. <laughs> I went, oh, that's why I like it. Okay. I just thought I'd share that personal story with you. 
34, they quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, from weakness were made strong, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. This is all by faith in, in the power of God. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Now watch this. That's all the great things that happened. But now we're going to have a turn here. Others were tortured, not accepting their release, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings and scourgings, yes, also chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Hmm. They were tempted. They were put to death with the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive on the earth what was promised. But because God had provided something better for us so that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. You see, uh, sometimes Christians die in prison. But you see, to die is promotion. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The worst they can do is kill you. And, and quite frankly, in the scheme of things, they've done you a favor. But it's all under the sovereignty because you can't die until your work's done anyway. Right? Psalm 139, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in thy book they were all written, the days which were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. And you can't die until your work is done. Ephesians 2.10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you might walk in. Psalm 68, to the Lord belongs escapes from death. You ever had something happen to you? You look back over your life, you should have died and you didn't die. That's because your work's not done. But when you die, it's promotion. That's wild. That's wild. This is all about walking by faith. And we, we're going to look tonight at Gideon. And um, we're going to look at Gideon tonight and next week. Um, Before you can walk by faith, you have to come to faith. For many of us in this room, the way God brings us to faith, and by the way, faith is something he gives us. If you look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Uh, that's why it goes on and says, he made you alive. A lot of times we think faith is something we conjure up. Anybody can just exercise faith anytime you want. But, but when you're spiritually dead, you're spiritually dead. Dead men can't change their condition on their own. So he makes us alive. Faith is a gift of God. He gives us faith to call out on him. Um, that's all in the early part of Ephesians 2. So before you can walk by faith, you have to come to faith. You have to be born again. We talk a lot about faith. He's a man of faith. Uh, he's a person of faith. Uh, some of the, uh, the, the media now, they'll have reporters who uh, report on faith and religion. And the question is, faith in what? Um, Joel... Uh, Beek has written this. He says, it is important to emphasize that Christ is the object of active faith. Properly speaking, faith has never saved anyone. As believers, we do not have faith in our faith. We must exercise faith in Christ. True faith lays hold of Christ and rests upon Christ alone for total salvation. Thomas Watson wrote that justifying, true justifying faith involves three things. Number one, self-renunciation. Faith is going out of oneself, being taken off from our own merits, and seeing that we have no righteousness of our own. So we renounce our own righteousness, our own works, and we trust in Christ's righteousness alone. That's Philippians 3.9. Secondly, faith in Christ is reliance. 
The soul cast itself upon Jesus Christ. Faith rests upon Christ's person, his person. It glories in the cross of Christ. It is therefore called faith in his blood, Romans 3.25. So again, it's not on us. We rely on what Jesus did. Thirdly, it's appropriation or application. It's applying Christ to ourselves. Watson says, a medicine, though it be ever so sovereign, if not applied, will do no good. You got medicine, it's on the shelf, it's not going to help you. It has to be applied. This applying of Christ is called receiving him. John 112. Uh, the way we, we've got to have, before we walk by faith, we have to receive faith, and we have to then exercise the faith that is given to us in Christ alone. What happens for many of us is that before we come to Christ, it takes a major crisis. It takes a calamity. It takes a collapse. It takes some type of devastation that levels us to the ground before we call out to him. Amazing how often that's the case. Why? Because we're stubborn and we're self-willed and we're about ourselves. And we don't want to give in. So we got to get level. It is a mercy of God when he levels us so that in, in, in the deepest pain you have ever experienced, you call out to him. That's the greatest day of your life. Um... Uh, we all know John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. Uh, if, I know he wrote over 300 hymns. It might have been 600. I, I didn't look it up. That's in the back of my head somewhere. I came across a hymn he wrote. I came across it this week. I'd never seen this hymn before in my life. It describes his experience. You know, he was a... My gosh, he was, he was just a flat-out reprobate. A slave captain, uh, took advantage sexually of the slave women, a, a blasphemer, other sailors didn't want to be near him on the ship because of his language, and for a sailor not to be around you because of your language. They were afraid of this man and what God was going to do to him. And here's a hymn he wrote. I want to read it to you. I'd never seen this before in my life. The hymn is called, In Evil... I took delight. In evil I took delight, unawed by shame or fear, till a new object struck my sight and stopped my wild career. I saw one hanging on a tree in agonies and blood who fixed his languid eyes on me as near his cross I stood. Sure, never till my latest breath can I forget that look? It seemed to charge me with his death, though not a word he spoke. My conscience felt and owned the guilt and plunged me in despair. I saw my sins his blood had spilt, and I helped to nail him there. Alas, I knew not what I did, but now my tears are vain. Where shall my trembling soul be hid? For I, the Lord, have slain. A second look he gave, which said, I freely all forgive. This blood is for thy ransom paid. I die that thou mayst live. Thus while his death my sin displays, in all its blackest hue, such is the mystery of grace. It seals my pardon, too. With pleasing grief and mournful joy, my spirit is now filled. That I should such a life destroy, yet live by him I killed. It stopped his wild career. A lot of us in here had wild careers. And then the Lord got a hold of us. And see what happened here. He got knocked down. Knocked down. Flat knocked down. But he called on the Lord. He came to faith. But he came to faith through devastation. 
These guys all came to faith, and then they had to walk by faith. That's what we're doing. We're walking by faith. And by the way, when you walk by faith, what it means is you are walking, trusting in the faithfulness of God. That's basically what it means. Your faith is in Christ and in his faithfulness to you. Your, your, your faith is in his pardon forever. Your faith is in his promises. And there are hundreds of promises in the scripture. And what happens is, is that as we go through life and we're following him, we learn to wean ourselves off of our own trust in ourselves and our abilities and our plans and all the stuff we're going to do. And there's a process as we go through life where we begin now the process of learning to trust in him and in his faithfulness, in his faithfulness. We all have plans. We all have dreams. We all have goals. When we're young guys, uh, we got a plan, and it's a pretty darn good plan, isn't it? We're all going to be Johnny Manziel. We were destined for that. That's quite a story, isn't it? Here's this young guy, a freshman, all that's happened to him. It's absolutely remarkable. I, I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, when I was a kid, I sort of thought that was going to happen to me. Because as far as I could tell, I was the greatest wide receiver who had ever shown up on the face of the earth. No, I'm serious. I'll show you my YouTube channel. I, I just made that up. I, no, I thought I could catch a football. Uh, and you know, when you're young, you have all these aspirations. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to accomplish this. And man, I'm going to start as a freshman, and I'm going to do this. And we're going to beat Alabama, and then we're going to just pick up momentum, and we're going to just beat the crud Oklahoma, and I'm going to win the Heisman. See, that's kind of how we're looking at life. And then, but see, uh, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't work out too often. Have you noticed that? Did, how did that work for you? Not real well. And see, uh, it'll be interesting to watch his life because that's a lot for a young man to handle. Most young guys can't handle that. After we come to the Lord, and many of us come to the Lord through devastation, it's interesting to me how often our faith grows as we encounter devastation. Um, Let's talk about Gideon. It just says, for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon. Well, time's not failing me because i got 32 minutes. So let's go to the book of Judges. Now, I can't get it all in tonight. Uh, this morning, my plan was to get it all in, and then it changed. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But we'll, we'll just get an introduction to Gideon tonight. Uh, Judges chapter 6, verse 11 uh, the time of the judges was a spiritually bankrupt. It was a, it was the, the time of the judges was Israel just continuing to spiral downward and downward and downward further and further and further away from God. Um, the book prior is Joshua. They had gone in, taken the land, conquered all the ites. Joshua said, it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And they all said, yeah, we will too, but they didn't. Joshua died, and then the downward spiral started, and then they'd get desperate and call out to God, and he would send a judge, which means deliverer, to help them. And then things would go well for a while, and then they'd forget the Lord, and then they'd go worse and worse. And this just goes on for hundreds of years. You come to Gideon in Judges 6, 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the, the Abazarite, as his son Gideon, was beating out wheat in the winepress in order to save it or hide it from the Midianites. Now, there's a story right there. He was beating out wheat in the winepress, literally in order to hide it from the Midianites. Uh, you didn't beat out wheat in a winepress. You would beat out wheat. A winepress was inside, sheltered. It was hidden away. Uh, you would beat out wheat outside. But there was a reason he wasn't doing that. You find this guy and he's hiding. Why is he hiding? Because it was a time of great devastation in the nation. 
If you read the previous 10 verses, because they had gotten further and further and further away from God, God was sending his judgment on his people. So if you look at verse 1, the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hands of Midian for seven years. So this nation of Midian, the power of Midian prevailed against Israel. They overwhelmed them. Uh, because of Midian, the sons of Israel made for themselves the dens, which were in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. In other words, these people that had been conquered now, because they had turned away from God to idols, God sends the Midianites and powers them to judge his people to get their attention. And so now, instead of ruining and reigning and being the heads, now they're the tails and they're hiding out in caves and he won't even thresh his wheat out front because he's so afraid. The whole nation was intimidated. Verse 3, For it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites would come up with the Amalekites and the sons of the east and go against them. Now watch this. So they would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel as well as no sheep, ox, or donkey. They would, so they would sow everywhere. You know, you got your crops. That's how you feed your family. And these Midianites would come in just as harvest time and they would just steamroll and devastate everything you had done. And they did it year after year after year. That's why this guy is threshing the wheat he was able to hide, and he's doing it in the back room in a wine press instead out front because he was afraid they were going to take it. It's all he had. It was a time of devastation. Uh, verse 5, For they would come up with their livestock and their tents. They would come in like locusts by number. Both they and their camels were innumerable, and they came into the land to devastate it. So the Lord brought very low. Uh, Israel was brought very low because the Midian, the sons of Israel, cried to the Lord. God was trying to get their attention. Okay. There's the context. So verse 12. You guys still with me? So the angel of the Lord shows up. This guy's hiding out. Um, instead of being out front, he's hiding out, beating out wheat in the wine press. Verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. By the way, he wasn't a valiant warrior. But uh, I'll just go ahead and tell you this, and we'll get into this next week. It's what God had in mind for him to become. And it's what God has in mind for us to become, even though we don't start out as valiant warriors. Then Gideon, uh, verse 13, Gideon said to him, O my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now, I want to stop right here tonight on the text. And, and let's, let's understand what's, what's going on here. Here's a guy, and he has experienced absolute devastation. Year after year after year after year. And the angel of the Lord shows up, and the first question out of his mouth is, why has this happened? That's exactly what we do. When things happen to us as believers, we wonder why it has happened to us. Um, so many of us have a faulty theology because we have been taught a faulty theology. If, if you carefully read and study the scriptures, um, if you're in a Bible teaching church, you will hear a lot about the place of suffering in the Christian life. If you're in a church that's not so strong on the Bible, you won't hear a lot about suffering. Suffering is a key tool in God's toolbox to produce strong men of faith. Of faith. Every one of these guys in Hebrews 11 went through suffering, and I dare say every one of them went through some kind of devastation in their life. And when we as guys that are living right now, as Christians, encounter things that happen to us that devastate us, our, the, we're just human, and God knows that. But our question is, 
if an angel of the Lord showed up, I'd be just like this guy. Oh, Lord, okay, great, here you are. I got a question for you. Why has this happened? Is that not the question? It's always the question. Why has this happened? Um, I can't go too far into this tonight, but I, I want to say two things about the place of suffering. I, I want to say several things. Let me give you a few verses I've quoted. You've heard me quote these before. Remember, Jesus said, in the world, you'll have trouble. In the world, you'll have trouble. Acts 14.22 says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Did you get that? Through many tribulations. Uh, having tribulations, having trouble, having difficulty, having adversity is not abnormal for a Christian. Quite frankly, it is normal. It's God's gymnasium. It's how God gets us to build spiritual muscle. Uh, it's James 1-2, count it joy, think it joy when you encounter various trials. It doesn't say experience it as joy. Think it as joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. You get endurance through suffering, don't you? Nobody wants to suffer, but you don't gain endurance. Oh, I want to be a world-class distance runner. All right, then you're going to have to become a masochist. You're going to have to inflict pain on yourself. Those guys that run the marathons and the ultramarathons, they are willing to embrace pain in order to develop endurance. Is that not true? That's true in the physical world. It's true in the spiritual world. Philippians 1.29, it has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but to suffer for his sake. Now, when adversity comes into our lives, it's one of two things in the Christian life, all right? And we can misunderstand this. And I'm speaking generally here. Uh, a, a young man said to me recently, who was, he was just sharing me that he has absolute insomnia. He cannot sleep. He hasn't been able to sleep for weeks. And he's so frustrated with it, just he kind of threw away a line. He said, it must be God judging me for sin. And I said, if it were God judging you for sin, you would know precisely what the sin was. Is there, do you have a, is there a sin that God has pointed out to you that you haven't dealt with? He goes, well, no. I said, then that's not it. You can eliminate that. Uh, that's Hebrews 12. When we get into sin as believers, as men of God, he will discipline us. God wants his sons, oh, here's a concept, to obey him. Uh, don't you want your kids to obey you? Uh, yeah, we actually do. Okay, and if you're a good dad, if they don't obey you, there are um, consequences that you um, apply to their lives, depending on their age and where they are in life. But if you're a good father, you don't let that slide. Eli, in the Old Testament, the high priest, had two boys that he never crossed. He never disciplined and God wound up judging him, and God wound up judging his boys. And he was indicted because he would not discipline his sons. And God says, why have you honored your sons above me? You honor me by disciplining your sons. And he wouldn't do it. So, we want our kids to obey us, and when they don't, we apply appropriate discipline. God applies, applies appropriate discipline to us. But here's the deal. If you're in sin and the Spirit of God is working your, and you're under discipline, you will know what's going on. You will know what the issue is. He doesn't make us uh, confused or cloudy. It's clear and you know in your gut what's going on. You just got to come clean. But we don't want to come clean. You see, that's Hebrews 12. There's another reason, though, that you can be in adversity as a believer and you can be in hardship and experience calamity and even devastation. It's John 15. Why don't you flip over there with me real quick? It's not always discipline. It's, it's amazing. It can be the exact opposite of discipline. In John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, 
He takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, watch this, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it might bear more fruit. Any of you guys uh, got a vineyard? Uh, probably not. Any of you guys have roses? Yeah, I got roses. Down by the garage, I, I, got, I got some roses. And I'll tell you what I do. That's, that's a good rose bush. And, and I'll tell you what I do at a certain time each year. I go down there and I whack the crud out of that, out of that bush. If that bush could talk, <laughs> what would that bush have to say to me? I think it would say, why are you doing this to me? Did I not do what you wanted me to do? Oh, yeah, you were unbelievable. You got a 4.0, man. You were incredible. It was roses like I've never seen. Yes, exactly my point. Was I not fruitful? You were fruitful. Then why are you cutting on me? That hurts. That's painful. Why are you cutting me? Ah, I want more fruit. I want you to bear more fruit next year than you ever born in your life. That's what that principle is teaching. When we're fruitful, you can be walking with the Lord in obedience, trusting him. You can walk him by faith. And you know what he'll do? At a certain point, he'll prune you. you go, hey, what the heck? What, what's that about? You ever feel that way? What did I do wrong here? And the answer is you didn't do anything wrong. You were fruitful. But he wants you to bear more fruit, and he wants you to become more mature. I'll be honest with you. I don't like this deal. I don't know how you feel about it, but I'm not real, I'm not real jazzed about this. But it's the way it works. Is it not? Yeah, it is. It's not forever. It's for a season. Um... I, I, was, uh, I, I was driving over here, and I have a friend who called me. And, and we've been friends a long time. And this, this guy and his wife, they love the Lord. We go way back. His, his family is in absolute chaos right now. His two adult kids are in absolute chaos. Uh, and... Uh, Almost on every front, this family is getting hit. It's tough to watch your kids go through stuff. With one adult child, there is uh, a, a combination of diseases going on right now. That is absolutely baffling. Um, it's not going to go away anytime soon, unless the Lord intervenes. The other adult child is in a marital situation that is um, absolutely tragic. And he called me on my way over here and we were talking. And uh, he said, what are you going to talk about tonight? I said, well, I'm going to talk about Gideon and his devastation. He said, huh. Because see, that's right where he is. He said, I'll tell you something, Steve. I'm not depressed. Because um, I know God's sovereign. I know that he's in charge. I just, uh, we're just, he said, we're just walking by faith. Trusting in him. And as my wife said the other day, she said, you know, he got us through 1996. And I remembered because I was a part of that with him. That was a terrible year for them. He got them through 1996, and then you know what happened? Then for years after, fruit came. But man, 96 was horrific. Absolutely horrific. Um, I, I really debated about this tonight, but... Um, 
I'm, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to share some personal things here. Because we've been studying this, walking by faith, Hebrews 11, and I've said to you guys before, it's very easy for me to teach this stuff. Uh, quite frankly, it's easy for me to teach Hebrews 11 about walking by faith. Unfortunately, God wants me to actually do it. He actually wants me to go home in my life and actually put these principles into practice. Uh, that's why it says, not, let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, because teachers incur a stricter judgment. If you're a teacher of the Word of God and you're not attempting to apply this to your life, there's going to be a stricter judgment on you. And then if you're a listener, not, not many of you, uh, don't just be uh, hearers, my brethren, but be what? Doers. See, the name of the game is to apply this stuff. Um, so when I'm looking at this on devastation, I'm, I'm going to be real honest with you guys. Because I think a lot of times, here's what happened. It happened to me when I was a kid growing up in church. I thought the guys up front here, I thought they never went through anything. And I'll tell you what else, I thought they never sinned. Because nobody ever admits anything. The way in my in the church I was raised, you just wouldn't do it. My mom was here for Christmas, and we were, you know, just having stuff and fun and talking about different things. And it somehow came up when my when my mom and my dad told me the, about sex, about the facts of life. And it didn't. It was one of those. They were both there. I forget how old I was, 19 or 20. I can't remember. <laughs> but they. Uh, no, I'm a little guy, and I don't know, six, seven, eight, and I started asking questions, and it was pretty innocent, and then they'd give me just enough they thought to satisfy me, and then I would come back with another one. Well, wait a minute, what do you mean by that? And then I'd ask more, and I'm sure they're looking at each other, and just, you know, they hadn't foreseen this, and it was totally unplanned, but here we are, and they're in the middle of it, and at a certain point, they just had to come out and tell me about the truth of all that. Uh, uh, a mommy and daddy uh, have their clothes off, they're naked, and then there is, a, uh, there is a penis and there's a vagina, and the penis goes into the vagina. And I, I wasn't quite sure what I had just heard. <laughs> I never heard anything like that in my life. And you know, it didn't sound right to me for some reason. Uh, I don't have a problem with it now, but back then. <laughs> I was seven years old. I went, what? I mean, I never heard, I, you're putting me on. And, the, and then my mom reminded me. She said, you know what you said? I said, what did I say? You said, well, I'll tell you what. Pastor Ward would never do that. And that's what I said, because as far as I was concerned, Pastor Ward had never sinned. Now, he was, he was a godly man, but I'm just saying. Um, everybody's walking by faith. I don't care who you are. I want to share some stuff. I shared a little bit one Sunday when I was speaking for Chuck recently. I, I, and the reason I'm doing this I want to encourage you guys, if you're in that place of devastation. Last May, and, and I, I got to do this quickly, and I, I got to hustle, and I don't want to bore you with details. Uh, last May, I found myself, I, and I've, it's interesting, I've shared this this week with some people I didn't intend to share it with. I actually shared it at the noon lunch today, I had no intention of sharing it. And the first guy up to me said, are you gonna share that tonight? Because I know someone who needs to hear that and they need to hear this. Are you gonna share that? I said, no. And I, then I said, maybe. And I'm sharing it. Um, last May, I was about as burned out, worn out, as I've ever been in my entire life. Um, I, you guys don't, some of you don't know me. I, I travel on the weekends. I do a lot of men's conferences. I'm very blessed. I get to speak. I've done it for years. So I do a lot of traveling. I love it. Um, I'm thankful for it. 
I write books. Um, I teach here and some other studies during the week. I, I, I'm, I'm, I love what God has enabled me to do. I can't pastor a church. I don't have the gifts. I'm very limited. I'm, I'm one ball, two balls. Write, speak. That's it. Study for me. I don't like staff meetings. I don't know what to do in a staff meeting. I don't know what to say to them. I used to have staff meetings. I, it, it, you do your job. Leave me alone. <laughs> That's my approach to staff meetings. So you can see my shepherd heart coming out. <laughs> I'm not good at pastoring. But I do what I do. But I'm going to tell you something. I hit 63 years old. And in May, I hit the wall. Because I've been doing too much. And I've been traveling too much. And I've been doing it for years. But it really caught up with me in May. And along with that, the Lord had turned off for several months. He had just turned off the pipeline financially. I'd been through that before. I knew what he was doing. And you just got to press into him and you got to trust him. And I needed to learn some lessons. So I'm all ears. But the calls quit coming and I wasn't getting invitations. Um, the, the books weren't doing that well, to be real honest with you. And I thought, okay, Lord, what's going on here? And uh, I, I can't quite describe this to you, but I was I was beyond burnout. I, I usually take a couple weeks off when my speaking's done in May, uh, and then I have to I start on a book. I had no juice. I would sit down and write. I had nothing. I had nothing. I would sit in a chair and write, but there was no creative. I couldn't get it back. And I was, I was worn out, burned out. I, and Mary knew it. I knew it. I, I, was, um, um, I was in trouble because I couldn't keep doing what I was doing, but that's how I make my living, and I didn't see any other way except to keep, I felt trapped. At the same time, here's what's going on. Um, at, at the same time for several years, and you guys have heard about this, I have guys ask me, how come I can't get your teaching online? You teach that thing in Dallas, how come I can't listen to you in Nebraska or in Hungary or wherever? Our guys, we don't have teachers. Man, we, if everybody's on the internet. How come we can't get you on the internet? Oh, you don't have any video, you don't have anything. And it's true, I don't, because I just don't. And we get emails every single day. Every day, we get them. And I, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't have the money to do it. I don't hire people to do it. I just keep doing what I'm doing. And for several years, Mary's been praying that God would put that together. And, but it wasn't happening. It absolutely wasn't happening. And we reached a crisis in early May. And this is what I shared one Sunday morning. I reached a crisis one morning, and Mary and I got on our knees and said, Lord, and here's what I was thinking. I was, I, I was wondering if the Lord was getting ready to shut me down. And I'm not trying to be anything except truthful here, because if the bookings weren't coming in, why would the bookings not come in? Well, the only thing I think, I'm worn out. I think if I keep going at this pace, I might have a heart attack like my brother did, and I might keel over. I don't know. But I was scared. And, um, and nothing was happening. There was no movement. And I, I just didn't, I, I, and, but Mary and I, we said, Lord, do you want us to sell? Do we downsize? Do we get out of here? What do you, you've got to make it clear. And then we, I, I, we finished praying. My brother-in-law calls me. He was a good friend. And he said, Steve, how's your internet stuff coming? I thought, leave me alone. He said, Steve, you've got to get it up. It'd be a stewardship. You wouldn't have to travel as much. And you put stuff up. And the way it works, guys can listen for free. And then there's resources, and they'll buy. And it's revenue long term. It's a good steward. Yeah, yeah, I know. He said, you're not going to do it. He said, but it's, you got it. I'm going to pray God will raise the money. I'm going to pray he's going to do it for you. I said, okay, you do that. You join Mary. I'm not praying. And I wasn't. I was done. I was toast. Um, I had a book to write. I had no juice. This book for young men. Okay. That's where I was in May. And I got to make this brief. I'm going somewhere with this. I, I, I'm going to tell you something. I was devastated. When I got off the phone with my brother-in-law, I went in to change clothes to get on the treadmill. And I walked into that closet, and I just got overwhelmed. I got overwhelmed. And I put my head on that high boy dresser, just like that, and I started weeping. And I said, you got to help me. 
or I'm going to die. And I wasn't being dramatic. I thought I was going to die if he didn't help me. I didn't know any way out of this. I said, you got to keep these, keep these guys off my back. I can't get this thing online. I don't know how to do it. Just, I was just utterly frustrated. So the next day, you, some of you guys know the story. I'm walking out of that noon Bible study. There are two guys out there on the sidewalk. One guy, I'm walking out. Hey, Steve, is next week the last week? Yeah. We break for the summer? Yeah. How are we going to survive without Bible study? I said, I don't know. Good luck. <laughs> and the guy says, uh, he goes, hey, seriously. Uh, he goes, man, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I, he said, how much do we have to pay you to keep this going? I said, sell your Apple stock. Write me a check, man. It was a joke. And he said, seriously, he goes, I travel. I can't get your stuff. I go, I know, I know, I know, I know. He said, why can't I get your stuff? I said, well, he goes, I know. He said, if I understand how you're wired, you're not going to do that. You're going to stay doing what you're doing. I go, yeah. And he goes, you're, you'd have to have the money, which means you'd raise money. And I say, yeah, I don't raise money. He said, and then you'd uh, have to hire somebody. And I said, yeah, I don't do that either, usually. I just have two part-time people. He said, but that'd be a great stewardship. You wouldn't have to travel as much. He told me what my brother-in-law told me the day before. I go, yeah. And Brian also said, I'm going to pray God's going to do something. And he said, Steve, that, it, it would cost about 50000 to get that thing off the ground. It might be more and all this. He's telling me all this. He said, I'm going to pray God's going to do something. I said, great, you pray. This guy on the sidewalk says to me, so let me ask you something. How much would it cost to get this going? And I said, well, my, I asked my brother-in-law that. He told me 50000 and his friend said it could be more than that. And uh, he said, okay, you got it. And I said, I'm sorry, could you tell me your name? Because I didn't know the guy's name. And you know what? He did it. Just like that. I mean, in five days, it was there. And he said, all right, now you got it. Now we got to find someone to oversee this process because you don't know how to do it. Well, I had just had a providential, twice had met two guys in the tech world that I knew were Christians. I'd ran into them twice in a week, hadn't seen them in years. And they both said to me, how come we can't get your stuff online? At the same time, they said, if we can ever help you, let me know. So I go to them and I said, hey, I've got funding. Who do you know that could do this? Say, oh, this guy, he's the best. If you can get him, this is what he does. I call him. He just happened to be in between projects. Oh, yeah, I'll do it. And so we bring him on board. And the guys that are funding this, they got so excited. Hey, we'd like to meet him. And so we have lunch and we sit down and I go to get iced tea and I come back and they figured out they all know each other because they all went to the same college and they were all in the same frat and da, 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 da. And there's, it was wild. Oh, then we got to hire a young guy. Well, I'll do that. I'll get it going for four months and then we'll hire a young guy. You don't have to pay him much. But these young guys, they know how to do this in their sleep and I'll show him the strategy on how you, okay, I said, great. You upload, you upchuck. I don't know what you do. You do this stuff. And then I'll get out of the picture, but I'll train him. And the next week I'm speaking in Houston, and there's a guy who's a musician who's a guest, and he's incredible. And I didn't have a chance to meet him. But the next day I get an email from him. Hey, thanks for your message. I really appreciated it. Uh, by the way, I just moved to Dallas, and I'm looking at that. And I'm, I'm just, I, wa I watched it for about 12 hours. I thought about it. I called him, and I said, hey, you just moved to And we started talking. I said, well, where are you from? He goes, Mobile. I said, what'd you do in Mobile? He said, well, I worked with Integrity Music and I worked at North Mobile Baptist. I said, you work for Ed Litton? He goes, yeah. I said, what'd you do? He said, I did all his internet stuff and I did his audio and I did his video. And I said, really? So I got off the phone and I call Ed and Ed says, grab the guy. He's incredible. So we grabbed him. I'm telling you this because this all went online 48 hours ago. And I was devastated. Yeah, thank the Lord. See, I was devastated because I could not fathom how it could change. And that's where some of you guys are. You cannot fathom how the circumstances would change because the devastation is so complete. Here's the other deal. 
And some other things were done. Some other people stepped up sovereignly at key times. Everybody wants to be under the radar. Everybody wants to be anonymous. Nobody's looking for credit. You're just thanking the Lord. It's the body of Christ. I'm just giving you a snippet here. So we're seeing some things throughout the summer. This goes online 48 hours ago, and then the videos soon to follow. If you just go to the website, steveferrar.com, you'll find it under resources. It's amazing. You guys, can I talk for a minute? Sure. You guys still here? I'm thankful. It's amazing what's happening. I got to write this book. I don't have the juice. I've never been this depleted in my life. And I'm working all summer. I'm working all summer. I'm writing thousands of words. It's not quite there. Okay. So Thanksgiving. All right. My son Josh was hanging out with us at Thanksgiving. He'd had dinner with his wife's family, and then his wife and his sisters took a little trip they'd been planning. So Josh comes and hangs out with us. We hadn't had a lot of time with him. He's completing a master's. He teaches eighth grade. He's a waiter at night. He's working his tail off. I'm proud of him. But I haven't had a lot of time. We're catching up. And then at one point in the weekend, he goes, hey, Dad, how's the book for young men coming? Point Man 2.0. He goes, I love that concept. I said, I'm having trouble with it, Josh. He goes, you are? I, yeah. In fact, I'm going to veer this way because I can't get this, what I originally thought. I'm going this way, and I'm going up to see the publisher next week and talk to him about it. Huh. He said, okay. And he leaves because he's got to write two papers for his master's thing. And he calls me the next night. He goes, hey, Dad, I spent all day studying Point Man today. I said, I thought you had to write papers. He goes, well, I, I, I read your book again because this is important, Dad. And he goes, I think you're making a mistake. I said, what? He goes, you know, Dad, that original idea you had was great. I'm afraid you're going to miss an opportunity because you're worn out. If you go this way, it's not going to work with these guys because I'm one of them. I said, really? He goes, you need five things, Dad. He teaches creative writing. He's getting his master's. He's a natural. And, and, I'm listening, and I want to say, I said, what are the five things? And in two minutes, he gave them to me. And for the first time in a year, it went like that. I've been flying on instruments in fog for a year. I couldn't see the ground. I saw the ground. And my mind is rolling. And I'm listening to him. And I said, Josh, what are you doing next Wednesday? And he said, I got a final at 4 in the afternoon. I said, can you fly to the publisher with me next Wednesday morning? Because I want you to tell him what you just told me. And I'm thinking, he needs to write this book with me. This is nuts. He goes with me. We walk in there. He's 28 years old. He got these two, you know, okay. He walks in, and I said, I was going to go this way. I came up here today, I'm going this way. And then Josh called me last week and said I was wrong. So I want him to tell you what he thinks. And Josh starts telling him. And I'm watching these guys, and he's got them. And then at a certain point, it came out too soon. One of the, the other guy was with us, spilled the beans. He said, yeah, and Steve wants Josh to write the book with him. And I thought that was too soon. And then the head guy at the publisher says, man, I'm really glad to hear that. Because about 10 minutes into this thing, I'm thinking, how do I tell Steve he needs his boy to write the book with him? <laughs> so we did the contract, and now Josh is broken into the publishing world, which has never been harder to break into, which is really where his heart is. And I need his help. And someone had offered to help us so I had some funds to help, to get Josh to help me. And that was a providential thing of the Lord. I could go on for hours here. Flying home, Josh said, Dad, I got a contract till May. I can't resign. He's at a Christian school. I said, no, you can't. He said, but I actually think, Dad, if I could get out of that, because they gave us four more months to write the book, and we're going to have to do it pretty much full time. He said, but Dad, I, I actually have a guy to replace me who's in my program who's a PhD guy, and he can't get a teaching job. He teaches in a daycare center. I said, really? He said, he'd be perfect, Dad. He said, I don't, so I, I don't know how to handle this. 
and the headmaster I've known for years, and I said, you know what? Bill Rector's a godly man. Don't go in, don't, don't, all you do is go in there and tell Mr. Rector what's happened. Just tell him the story. Because godly men recognize the work of the Holy Spirit. So Josh calls me a couple of days later. Hey, Dad, talk to Mr. Rector. Yeah. He goes about 15 minutes in. He said, okay, Josh, how do we help? They released him with their blessing. And Josh said, hey, by the way, I think I got a friend. And, and he started this week. And Josh is working with me. And I was devastated in May. And I really thought I might die. And I saw a cardiologist, and he said, you got to drop 40 pounds. But I didn't have the emotional energy, but because God started doing some things, I was able to drop the weight. I'm really hungry, but I dropped the weight. <laughs> and I want to tell you something. The other day, and I hope you guys know my heart, I am telling you this to encourage you. You never know what God's going to do. My friend said, yeah, it's tough now, but I remember 1996. That was devastating. Then what did God do? You see? I, I'm telling you guys this to encourage you because he's encouraged me. And we're all walking by faith. And he's a great savior. And I don't know where you are. Listen, I look around here and I see guys who have shared their stories with me. And I see guys in here who just not too many years ago were in devastation of their own making. And he has redeemed them. And he is blessing them. And he is using them. They've grown through the adversity. They're men of faith. This is where we're going. Make sense? Be encouraged. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. You are such a great God. You are such a, gosh, amazing. Amazing. So, I think of Psalm 57, 2, as we end. I will cry to God most high. He's, David prayed that when he was in the cave, surrounded by the soldiers. He had no escape. I'll cry to God most high. To God who accomplishes all things for me. He will sin from heaven and save me. You saved us once and you keep on saving us. In the interim, we wait on you. We do what we can do, but we wait on your provision. Encourage men tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.